uh, I met Kathy Westlock when I was in my Cyber Six cosplay, and people go nuts oh, wow. for that cosplay, honestly. Uh, but I was so scared to meet her in it. So I'm oh, like wow. jumping up there on the stage to get my photo because it's like 10 bucks a photo, or whatever. I'm like, here you go. Here's my mom. Please. It's just really cool. Whatever. And she's just like, oh, she's speaking in like the cyber six voice to me. And she's like, a promise is a promise. And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> and then I, I hop up there and uh, I spill her coffee into her purse. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I was just like, oh, my God, I hate myself and want to die. But uh, no, she was really nice about it. Um, yeah. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. This is a podcast focusing on the many connections between anime and Canadian media. And in this episode, we're doing another retrospective on a show that has had a very important impact. Cyber Six. Joining me are quite possibly two of the most qualified people possible to talk about this wonderful show. First off, we have Z, the noted Cyber Six cosplayer and CanCon Otaku. Uh, Z, can you uh, just tell the folks a little about yourself and then what what you've contributed to society? Uh, sure. Okay. So, uh, one of my first cosplays that I ever did that like gained a bit of notoriety around, uh, possibly because I didn't stop wearing it, possibly because it was okay, uh, was the Cyber Six cosplay. And I've actually done Adrian now too. I've gone back and mm-hmm. done that. Um, and people thought that that was Harry Potter, and I was very upset about that. But uh, that's where did people funny. think it was Harry Potter? <laughs> that was at YetiCon, so it's a bunch of um, normies walking around at the same okay. time, and they're just like, "Oh, Avada Kedavra!" I'm like, "No, no, I'm not. No, sorry, wrong, wrong guy, <laughs> wrong coat, uh, wrong hair, right glasses. That's about <laughs> it." Yeah, brutal. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was that was really sad. Uh, but yeah, I, I cosplayed Cyber Six for probably two years uh, back when Cyber Six was uh, uh, not Cyber Six. Back when cosplay was like not really a TikTok, like one and done sort of deal kind of thing. So people know, know me or they knew me as the Cyber Six cosplayer and also the Nanaland cosplayer. And I've done a lot of weird Canadian media. I'm sorry, Brady. Are you Canadian? I can't remember. I don't. I I, I am not, but I feel like I, I am in my heart sometimes because I love <laughs> so much like Canadian media and and uh, uh, work on restoring so many like uh, anime dubs uh, from like Canada. So. <laughs> Uh, I've done a lot of like weird PSA based cosplays. So like the "Don't you put it in your mouth" puppets. Like I I cosplayed the the no frills uh, slogan one Halloween. It was like a costume <laughs> uh, for Halloween was like the name of it. I've done the telefrance pineapple. Uh, oh my goodness. Yeah, people many... think people think that I'm a CanCon otaku, but yeah. anybody who thinks that has clearly never met or even heard of you. Yeah, yeah like. I... Like a no, do, no contest. <laughs> yeah, I used to do the Canadian nostalgia panel. That was a staple at mm-hmm. uh, uh, Com Bravo for a few years running. That was always a packed house. It was always a lot of fun to just like make people go, oh, God, why? <laughs> why did we come up with that as a society? And I'm like, I don't know, because we have no budget. And that's we're not American. I guess that's our <laughs> that's mm-hmm. our two goals of being Canadian. Uh, yeah. So that's me. <laughs> You you also have the frantic fanfic. 
Yes. Okay. So uh, during the pandemic, I couldn't go out and see any friends and I kind of went a little insane a little bit. So uh, we started doing like PowerPoint presentations online and it just like evolved into uh, writing fan fiction at the same time with everybody else and then swapping it off and then continuing it that way. And we wrote some of the most horrific stuff uh, that I've ever cried tears laughing at. Uh, so That's awesome. Uh, yeah. My, my boyfriend's a software developer and I'm an artist. And we've always wanted to collaborate on doing something together uh, that uh, that ties those things together. So we made it into a real video game, and you can play it right now on the internet. It's franticfanfic.com. Free to play. There's a $5 membership if people want to kick us money so that they stop seeing ads. And, you know, it's uh, it's taken off, and lots of people have played it. And they've also cried laughing at the horrible things that their friends have come up with. And they're just like, how are we friends? Oh, I'm like, so I don't cool. know if those are your friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really rewarding to do something like that. That's not just uh, me going out and like making other people's IP like a thing. I guess it is because it's it's about fan fiction, but it could be like about like something on your desk. I don't know. But it, it's nice to make something yourself, right? Is it like a crowdsourced alternative to chat GDP? Uh, no, actually, you can't read anything uh, uh, unless oh, okay. people like post it to websites and stuff. Mm, it's all okay. Games. I see. So it's uh it's more like Jackbox, but oh right. okay. And like the actual playing of it, um, it takes like three, four, ten minutes to actually write the stuff. But then when you do start reading it, it's just like tears of laughter. Like what have we done? <laughs> it's it's a m much more of a payoff in the in the reading part, not so much in the writing part. But some people like writing and reading, you know. It sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, and you probably noticed there is someone else here as well, uh, Brady Hartle. Uh, Brady, could you uh, introduce yourself to everyone? Hi, I'm Brady Hartle. I uh, I do a lot of things. For my day job, I I uh, work as a uh, on video games. I'm a game developer. I primarily do like graphic design and art production and stuff. Well, the longest running game is this game called Skullgirls, which is a 2D fighting game. Uh, which I've worked on probably for like the last 10 years, which is kind of funny because it uh, coincides with uh, my other job that I've been doing for uh, also 10 years. And that is as a producer for uh, Discotheque Media, uh, where I work on back then I worked on DVDs, but now I work on Blu-rays. I sort I'm sort of a, uh, I started as a packaging designer and then moved into production. And so I sort of do a lot of different things. And one of the projects that I had was the subject of this podcast, which is Cyber Six, which was my first thing that I produced for Discotech Media from restoring the footage to uh, 24 frames per second progressive to hunting down all the extras, producing all of the commentaries, uh, finding the pilot, like all the stuff on the DVD. If you ever bought the Cyber Six DVD, that was uh, me like being a kid in a candy store thinking, hmm, I can do whatever I want with this, so let's see what I can do. And then uh, we ended up getting, like, um, Kathy to do a commentary and a bunch of different things, which is really cool of her to do. So, yeah, and the thing is, like, Cyber Six was a show that um, I had seen on uh, here in America uh, on Fox Kids, and it never finished, but I always had, like, an affinity for it. I thought it was really cool and neat. Uh, so when I was told like, oh, this is this, sh this is one of the, like, the shows that was available to me, I got it. And I was like, can you send me the episodes? The owner of Discotech was like, sure, here. 
And I was like, oh, man, like, I, I could totally, like, restore these. And so I got him to send, like, I was just like, hey, send me the masters. And so I got him to do that. And that's sort of how I went on my, like, rabbit hole of, like, restoring Cyber 6. So I thought it was such such a cool show. Like, just one of the like neatest things I'd ever seen. I guess there was kind of a question of whether or not Cyber 6 qualifies as anime. And I, I don't want to delve into that too much. I think it does. Um, cause every visual aspect, uh, from the ground up for that show was done in Japan. And even if it doesn't have a traditional anime style, it is, you know, it has all the hallmarks of an anime production, something made in that pipeline, uh, including Yashimoto's design that was, uh, that was done in Japan too. Yeah. Uh, interestingly. Uh, yeah. I was actually, I, I, in the commentary, I pointed that out. I was like, you know, this is a, a very like horrific character, especially by these days, but it was, mm -hmm created by uh like if japan wanted to edit him and i mean for, uh, compared to the original comic they did edit him but mm -hmm. like they could have went further like they could have changed him completely <laughs> which is such, such a weird thing it's a weird uh, choice i i think it might be in large part just of how like slavishly uh faithful they are to the art style of the original comic but i mean even they made other changes and yet he's a, almost entirely preserved yeah there well i mean there's interest there's, it's interesting too like you uh i would consider it anime there's a there's a it's a very interesting thing because it's it was all written and recorded in canada and like uh, all the writers are uh canadian or at least mm -hmm. uh, like most of them were i mean notably uh the lead uh writer was terry classen who who people probably know as like Krillin from Dragon Ball Z or like a, like the ton of different things. He's got a very unique voice, but he was like the head writer and like, yeah, if was, you, if you look him up on anime news network and look at all the, all the credits he has for Dragon Ball Z alone, it is <laughs> laughably massive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> he, he I, I know so many voices in that for the multiple dubs. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to pigeonhole him in that either. Cause he's yeah, done a exactly. ton of voice work and he's just got this really unique voice. And also he's a director and, has worked on things like My Little Pony and all that, but yeah, I mean um, that's just a small portion of just what he's contributed to so many different shows. Over yeah, the years. oh yeah, his oh, his, sure. his actual reputation like vastly overshadows that. Yeah, uh, just, oh yeah, the, the work he's, on that one show on Dragon Ball Z. So. But but yeah, like and it's it's very crazy because it's like that portion of it is all done in Canada, whereas the animation was this whole Japanese team. I know behind the scenes there was like this language barrier struggle, right? Of trying to bring the 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 scripts to life how the team wanted it, but also where as the Japanese team wanted a, a completely different way, and there was sort of like a struggle there, especially because again of like the language barrier. But um, there's also some of the DNA and the animation too that it's very much like the, the you know a lot of the people who worked on this are, are sort of the people who also worked on um, a lot of like the, the super well animated Batman, the animated series episodes that TMS did. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so like, or the animator who did the, the, the super laser sequence in Batman beyond return of the Joker, who had previously done the similar sequence on Akira. Like, uh, so they had sort of that DNA and it was kind of like uh, when Her Hervé Bedard, he, mm -hmm. He he's the guy who went to uh, the Carloses who created the original comic and bought the rights to it and then took it around and then uh, took it to TMS. And TMS seemed to want to make their own like action adventure 
uh, dark dark action adventure show for like international audiences uh, because you know they had done Batman and they had you know done stuff in the DC DC stuff. So like they kind of wanted to try and do that and using that at the time they used an animation tool called Celsius, which was one of the earliest like digital animation systems and it still exists. Celsius became this program called Clip Studio Paint. I have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, Clip Studio Paint, or it used to be called what is it? Manga Studio was also what it was called before. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's the same. Like, it's I don't I don't know if it's like the same tool, but it's the same company, and it has this a lot of the same stuff in it. So like that that tool um, uh, is sort of has roots in what was used for these digital cartoons at the time. And so they they were working on the, also on this whole digital pipeline. And so Cyber Six was kind of like a litmus test for that uh, pipeline as well, which was also used in, again, like Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, which is HD and one of the uh, like a completely digital uh, production as well. Uh, that, in fact, they had to convince um, Bruce Timm's team and all that, if you listen to the commentaries for that movie, to use the system. And... I'm not sure if they should, like, I, I can't remember which came first, but I do wonder if, like, one or the other was kind of, like, uh, feeding into each other, because uh, they have very similar looks to them in terms of being, like, dark and having, like, um, like dark backgrounds and stuff. Though, I do think for Cyber 6, the, the, I'm pretty sure the backgrounds are all painted and scanned in, whereas the characters are all, like like, digital. But yeah, like, it's that sort of crazy confluence of North American meets uh, Japan, and so like, yeah, to- I would totally consider it an anime, even if it's got like a co-production sort of feel to it. Oh yeah, like I tried to have a panel on Cyber Six at Anime North, and they refused it because it wasn't anime enough. This was, what? This was like five or eight years ago or something, and I had to I had to argue with the panel director that it was anime, and I was like, you know what? I'm okay here. If they don't want me to run this panel on Cyber 6, that's fine. And then I just kind of like did the, and then done here. Bye-bye. I don't want to convince you guys that it's anime. It's obviously anime. Like it's animated in Japan. And they're like, oh, but if it's animated in Japan, you've got all these other things that are animated in Japan, like Spider-Man, the, the 90s Spider-Man was the same studio, right? And I'm just like, I, yep. I, I don't, I don't want to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It- it's a valid debate to a degree. First of all, I gotta say that usually I'd uh, I'd be very supportive of an anime convention actually trying to focus their panels on anime and not things that aren't anime, which is a big problem I find with some of the cons I go to is that they mm-hmm. just let the the non-anime content out of control. Cyber Six is I think there's an interesting debate to be had over over that one because it's so unique uh, in many ways. There, I would say there is nothing quite like Cyber Six. Right. Uh, I, I'm even when I think of other co-productions, this was the first animated co-production ever made between Canada and Japan. There were others later, but nothing came together quite the way that Cyber Six did, and that's because the Canadian company that was behind it, NOA Network of Animation, they had, which was run by Hervé Bedard, uh, as Brady mentioned, had just a very unique approach to putting things together uh, when they collaborated with. TMS, uh, specifically telecom animation um, in Japan. And the it was made for an international market, but it first showed up on Teletoon uh, in September of 1999. And man, they blew through those episodes 
lightning fast. They didn't air it once a week. They aired it irregularly, about two episodes a week. Z, I'm not sure if you caught that initial airing I, on, on television. I was nine at the time, so memory yeah. foggy. <laughs> but I knew I loved it. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my God, what is this? Like my little nine-year-old brain was on fire. <laughs> yeah, they blew through it in about two months. Uh, and they kept running it over and over again. Um, and then they took it off for a while. Then they brought it back in the early, like the early 2000s, around 2003, 2004. Mm-hmm. And they, boy, they ran that show a lot. Um, if you were, you were a kid watching Teletoon at that time, and many of us were, yeah. it certainly was ingrained into your brain to some degree. Yeah. Uh, probably many sexual awakenings uh, as well from that show. Uh, I have no doubt at all. Uh, and it made an impression in Canada like it did nowhere else in the world. And as Brady mentioned, it also ran on Fox Kids uh, in, two th- in 2000. Not quite a bit of a contrast for the way um, that played out. It's really sad. It is very sad. And also the, the worst part is that 13 episodes were produced and there were supposed to be a second set of 13 episodes. But those episodes being produced was contingent on the series being successful in the United States on Fox Kids. And it was completely set up for failure. And it's just this sad situation where it ran again and again and again in Canada. I don't don't know how how much you could argue it was a financial success um, for Teletoon and the Canadian partners, but it did not matter because 10 episodes that were basically set up to fail on Fox Kids did indeed fail. And that's why the show ended on a cliffhanger and will will very likely never be resolved. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, the, the Fox Kids thing is also super interesting too, because they, they aired 10, they skipped the uh, Yashimoto private eye episode. Mm-hmm. And so we got up to episode 11, which was the, it's like the episode with the werewolf where uh, it's pretty much Adrian's chased. It's got some of the best animation too. Um, but it, like we never like here in America, we never got the two part uh, finale. I mean, it's it's more or less a cliffhanger, but it, it it's it's enough at the end there that like it would have at least been sort of a satisfying like conclusion. But like we never got that, so it's just like this, just an episode where uh, Adrian slash Cybersix escapes uh, from from like being chased, and then that's it, and like never again, and like. I, they they ran that next episode preview for Daylight yeah. Devil, but Daylight Devil never showed up. Yeah, in yeah. fact, like I rem- I when I was doing my research, um, there's a there's a guy called uh, Surstack who did these. Um, uh, I guess he, what he had is he had like a satellite, and I remember reading it because I was at the time, even as like a teenager, I was really into uh, Power Rangers, and so I would always read his spoiler warnings. Also, listen to like Digimon and all sorts of stuff. I've always been a giant nerd, uh, but um. So he would go through the satellite listing things and he would say, well, here's all the next episodes. And I remember finding like I was like, "Okay, so here's exactly what aired on what days. And like I was like, huh. And so he noted in there that, oh, that preview showed and they never showed the next episode. And I'm not I'm not sure what they I think they doubled up on Digimon because it was it was like so much more popular at the time, like uh, even even in the shadow of Pokemon like Digimon was was doing quite well. So they were just like, oh, we'll just show more of this. Better ratings. Kids want to watch this. Um, when, you know, like they didn't really 
promote Cyber Six super well. Like I think there was like one commercial they showed, one or two commercials they showed on Fox Kids. They didn't really, and they they didn't like air it a ton. I don't think. Um, so it was one of those things where like uh, it just didn't get um, the attention I feel like it deserved. And then there was also like that whole thing with the lawsuit as well with Dark Angel and the the similarities between it. And I don't know how much that truly uh, affected it, but it's like Dark Angel was a show on Fox and Cyber Six was also going to air on Fox. Like, it's oh. sort of like a weird situation that I, like, I personally don't know how that all affected stuff, but it's still, when you look at it, it still looks kind of like, hmm, like what, why, like, is this why? Like, you will really never know, but it's just something that, it's a weird thing that happened during the production of this show, which, yeah, was a, was, a, it feels like a miracle that it got made in the first place, given the tone and like the, like the subject matter of it. The, the lawsuit with Dark Angel, was that directed at the animated version or was it directed at um, either the comic or the the Argentinian live action drama, which we'll uh, we'll talk about a little later. I, I can't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I, I think it had to do with the, the Carloses who created it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 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 Magilla and uh, Trillo. Um, okay, all right. So the the two guys who created it uh, were both named Carlos, uh, who, who have both unfortunately since passed away. Um, yeah, both quite young too. Yeah, which is yeah. which is sort of surprising, and I, I mean it's also um, sort of an oddball because it is like it's from Italy, like the comics from Italy, but uh, was written and drawn in Argentina, where the Carloses were from. Yeah, um, it was published in a magazine called Scorpio. It Scorpio had an Argentinian edition and an Italian edition. It ran in both countries. But the, even though they were based in Argentina, it was primarily for the Italian one that it was yeah. running in. And it did run in the Argentinian one as well. But my understanding is that the Italian edition is the only one where the entire story was published. There was no other language where the whole thing actually yeah, was completed. But the version that's floating around online that most people have read is the French version, which yeah. um, oh, I had those. never completed. Uh, yeah, they never went through it all. If you weren't uh, aware, I am one of the people who uh, started those scan uh, those scanlations. Oh, that's uh, cool. That's, that's why it's labeled Zunin. Uh, <laughs> I did. I worked with. Well, I don't know if he wants to be identified, but it was Pep and Ragebot uh, was the other guy. We we put together the first seven. You know, I stand by some of the decisions I made in in yeah. in, uh, in in that translation. Regardless, um, yeah. and other people have picked it up. Um, that's that's I think, cool. Yeah, I think actually, I think about. I was looking into it just the other day. I hadn't been following it it looks like about half of the comic has been translated into english mm. oh that's uh, so cool pe people are and there's a pretty uh i mean i mean back when this show was airing uh one of the things that always made me uh frustrated was how you know it was so confounding i like, i always thought i had missed an episode there was just no information so mm -hmm. and when you go online you could read about these comics but there's just like two websites that gave you very general broad oh, yeah. information and there. like a couple yep. scans. yeah <laughs> yeah and that was yeah. it it's just like it's all black with like the the cyber six logo and yeah. yeah that one yeah well, yeah that, but i mean compared to now there's an entire wiki which extensively breaks down every part of this franchise and uh there's a subreddit that's pretty pretty active as well and that's uh, awesome that's that's where the most of the work into um translating the rest of the comic 
I guess that's awesome. Going because, into, yeah. Because back when when I was doing the DVD, there was like nothing. And then there was like especially nothing about like what the ending was, right? Yeah. And I had to like go on Italian eBay and find and I found the final issue and I found a guy who had it. And he was like, well, I don't ship to America. And and like, so I was DM, I had to DM him and be like, hey, listen, I'll just send you all the money. Like, because he was worried because like, apparently he's been ripped off by Americans before, like buying stuff and then returning it or whatever. And I was just like, listen, I'll just send you all the money. You can keep it. Uh, I don't like, I'll just put the gamble on it arriving or not. Um, but like, I had to convince him of it to send, like, to even mail it to me. Mm-hmm. And then when I got the book, I I ended up like scanning all of it and like can't remember like I went on some image board or something and they they like did a rough translation of it for me to figure out like what's going on and like the whole ending of it is just bonkers where they like <laughs> they like bring Jesus back to life through like cloning and just yeah. like totally all this weird. stuff that like doesn't I'm like how did this get here like i like like missing 30 volumes of it <laughs> yeah it's not that out of line from other things that happen in that comic they they clone sherlock holmes at one point yeah uh, Mer- merlin shows up <laughs> like I, I owned volumes 1 to 12 of the french uh yeah. i bought them off of kijiji for like 50 bucks i was just like oh that's the deal uh and I, I don't know french and i was flipping through it and i'm like this is not the cartoon at no, all no and no no i'm like what is going on here i don't like this actually <laughs> I, w- I mean i would i would argue that like the the cartoon is better than the comic books personally um a hundred thousand million percent uh because the the comic book which it has like neat stuff in it like it's it's interesting to read it because the like the like the etymology of I mean, is that even the right word etymology? But like the the origin of like how you got from this comic to what you see in the cartoon is really fascinating. And then there's sort of like hints of what the cartoon could have become. But like it's so like there are parts of it that are just like so crass and gross, and it's got like that sort of '90s repulsive like pervert humor in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, it it is. It, it's not only loaded with sexual content; it is actually defined by it. Um, in any given chapter, if a female character shows up, there's like a seventy five percent chance that you will either see her naked or having sex with somebody before that chapter is over, including the shorter twelve page chapters. Yeah. Um, there is a lot about the comic I like, but I think as you mentioned in the in the comment in like the commentary on the DVD, which I would surely point out that DVD is very out of print now, unfortunately. So um, if you have a copy, you're you're it's lucky. Right Hold on to that. Uh, yeah. I got my I got a copy too, and it's great. That's um, one of those that's one of those ones which I really, really would like to bring back into print or do a Blu-ray at some point. Um Blu-ray. yeah, if you if you if you want more Cyber Six, uh make your voice heard because that like I said, it was my first show I produced for Discotech, and it's very close to my heart. And I would love to put that on Blu-ray because, like, unfortunately, the show is so well animated that, like, even with the highest of bit rate on DVD, like, there are scenes where, like, I know there's the scene in there where the with the eyeball that episode with the eyeball. There's like so much going on in that episode that even at the highest bit rate that I could encode the episodes, it's still blocky, and it's like, yeah. man, this needs. This needs a, a a Blu-ray so bad. So yeah, if you want more, if you want Cybersys on Blu-ray, please ask for it. Like just please. In a Twitter post right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
thanks for doing your part. <laughs> I, I lost my train of thought. Uh, I'm sorry. sorry. We're, yeah, that's okay. I mean, we're we're comparing the the comics to the the animated show. Maybe this is a good opportunity just to sort of talk about the premise or the story itself. They diverge a lot, but what's interesting about the the comic or what's interesting about the animated show is that even if even though it is a the final product is this show commercially targeted at the 11 12 year old audience really um from this yeah well yeah um that's what they wanted yeah 11 12 oh man yeah yeah that's 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 about how i how i'd pin it i'm a little older than that like teenager i see i mean nowadays it would be very at home with shows like owl house or adventure time or like a lot of the like a lot of the kids shows nowadays uh there are kids shows and a lot of them that skew for 14 15 16 yeah, and it seems too th- beautiful to waste on a 12 year old honestly yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well oh yeah like i, I mean w- when i saw it first i you know i i enjoyed it i was maybe I, I was captivated by it for certain but i didn't appreciate just how good a quality of quality a production it was at that time that's sort of what kind of what kind of grabbed me later well there wasn't a market for it though like a show like that there really wasn't a market for a show toned like that even even stuff like batman the animated series um which skewed older still was more friendly for kids where this did not have that sort of like aspect to it i don't feel i mean yeah they removed all the blood right so that's usually like teen plus is when there's blood in in play Anyway, sorry, I was saying this might be a good opportunity just to talk about the right. uh, the premise, sort of summarize just what Cyber Six is in a nutshell. So Cyber Six uh, is an artificial cu- human who was created by the mad scientist von Richter. Von Richter. Uh, he hides von Richter, um, who hides in a lab deep in the Amazon rainforest. Uh, his plot is to invade cities around the world and replace well either leaders or prominent figures or just people in general with his own creations. And his first target is the breathtaking nearby city of Meridiana, which is supposed to be located in Mato Grosso, Brazil. Uh, the animated series kind of um, kind of fudges that a little bit by making it a coastal city. Anyway, that's why there's an evil uh, German scientist uh, in the show, by the way, because it's in Brazil. Cyber 6 was thought to have been destroyed as a child, along with the rest of uh, Von Richter's cyber series. Uh, but for unexplained reasons, in the TV series at least, she managed to escape and hides in the city disguised by day as the male literature teacher, Adrian Seidelman. Uh, and at night, she wanders the city hunting Von Richter's creations to feed on their sustenance, uh, which is the artificial substance she requires in order to continue living. Although, in the animated series, sustenance is only mentioned in the first episode and the final episode. So I, I find that there are things I like about both the animated series and the comic. I do find they, they, I think they both do a good job of kind of establishing the premise in different ways. The comic completely info dumps mm. everything uh, right up front and explicitly explains everything, which is not so bad because there's a lot of, you know, th- there's a lot of uh, neat details, especially when it's focusing on the core storyline and just themes of humanity and spirituality. But it, it kind of drifts away from that general premise pretty quickly. But the animated series also kind of has the same problem where it does a good job of setting things up, but it kind of falls into a... Um, like a Monster of the Week formula, essentially. Uh, where, yeah, yeah, Monster yeah, of the Week format uh, after that. Um, so it's it's like both these versions, they kind of don't quite know what to do with this great premise. Um, but the animated show, by contrast, doesn't really... Ex- there's a lot that's changed, but there's a lot that's not really changed because they just don't explain it. Uh, like, you know, the Nazi stuff and 
Cyber Six's actual sort of backstory and how Adrian was, you know, someone who died in a car crash and she assumed his identity. You know, like I kind of touched on before, the fact that this information is missing is part of what kind of makes it well, captivating because it makes you, because you can tell there's this bigger, it's part of this big story. I feel like that was a like, season two thing. What is happening? They were just like, yeah, we're going to get into yeah. this when we go to season two and then it just exactly. happens, right? I was going to say like, they would have probably revealed like how Adrian became a teacher, like all that stuff. Yeah. If they hit it a season yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, like, like you said in the comic book, uh, Adrian escapes Von Richter's lab and then like stumbles upon a car crash where the family died and like ends up posing as the uh, son of that family so she can get like access to the city, right? Whereas in the cartoon, it's just kind of like, oh, this is the Clark Kent secret identity, right? Like, but like almost literally, except like not as like beefy and strapping as Clark Kent. And there's that sort of dichotomy of like, Adrian seems really weak, but isn't right. And then they like team Adrian up with Lucas, who is sort of a jockish character, but at the same time is like, just totally like, we're bros now, right? Like we're buddies immediately. You want to go see a romance film? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like he's just, he's like all in from the beginning. And there's like, what struck me about it, their friendship is like, it goes so against like the stereotypes of the time where like a character as like jockish and strong as him mm-hmm. would be like, sort like at first at least be sort of like an asshole, but he's just like, nah, man, like, like he seems like kind of like gym bros nowadays, like the gym bros from like uh mob psycho 100 who are like immediately, who are immediately yeah. accepting of mob, even though he's tiny and not really super strong. And then you get that sort of fun, like love triangle with two people of like, Adrian, Cyber Six, and Lucas. And then on top of that, like Lucas, who is, you know, that like this the strapping uh muscular man, is often like the damsel in distress too mm-hmm. in the show. Whereas Cyber Six is sort of like always saving him and is is the one who's like the the one who can fight the uh what is that fixed ideas, I believe they're called. Mm-hmm. The what the monsters are. Yeah. And so like they have this like really interesting setup in the cartoon that was like even though it's like it's like it's sort of more like coded that way. It's they don't like outright say it, and it's like really subtle. And like I always really thought that was cool. Me too. Oh my god, for sure. As like a girl, a little girl watching this growing up, I was just like, oh my goodness. There's one where it's the opposite way. Like you've got a hundred thousand other shows out there to just like, okay, the guy's gonna save the girl. Okay, she's gonna scream and whatever. But like to see Cyber Six just be the opposite of that, I was just like, oh, there's one. Great. And the other thing, too, is they do a really good job of making sure Lucas doesn't seem weak, right? Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't seem weak. It's just that, the you know, he's up against such odds that only Cyber Six can face them, right? So it's it's so cool. I, I mean, uh, that's one of the reasons why I wish the show continued. Um, and he does help, too. He, he finds out the, uh, what is it, the science thing? He makes the eye freeze, I think, something like that. Oh, yeah, you know, he's like, he's you always, know. He, you know, he's always <laughs> investigating, yeah, but, like, never at, like the detriment of like cyber six as a character. Right. And like, you know, and she's, she's written very like ponderously and like, she's like sort of like, I don't want to say at odds with her secret identity, but like, it's obvious, like um, she, you know, she's into Lucas, but at the same time, like, can she be with him? And then, you know, her secret identity complicates that. And like, it, it has all those really fun tropes of like Superman or, or or Batman or whatever, but sort of 
flipped on its head. And it's just so fun. Like it, it's like one of those shows where like, man, they like sort of set all this stuff like subtly up in the first season and where it would have went in the second season probably would have been like just amazing. Maybe let's talk a little more about our personal histories with the show. Z, did you, uh, you, you talked a little about watching it as, as a kid. Did you have anything else you wanted to sort of get into uh, about that? I, did, I watched it a lot as a kid. Uh, <laughs> one of my very first ever sketchbooks that I decided to like start drawing in, I would record things from TV on VHS and Inuyasha was in there mm-hmm. and Cyber Six was in there. And that's one of the first things that I just like looked at on my on my. TV and just like tried to copy and try to draw. So like that's like one of the big stepping stones of me becoming an artist and like my style and stuff. I think it's very uh, Cyber Six influenced, I think, uh, especially like formative years, that sort of thing. Uh, I did want to talk about um, how it's it's kind of very similar to Reboot, I think, uh, in that oh, like such a cool strong, show. the strong female lead uh, that has like a romance uh, and like, I just, I really identified with that as a kid as well. Like you did not see that at any other type of show. And like also reboot did really poorly in the U S and that's why it got canceled as well. So I'm just like, huh, I don't know. Re- I don't know if there's a pattern here for me. Re- Reboot's such an interesting show too, because dot is, even though she's not a guardian, like the equal of Bob. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, they make it very clear that like, uh, She's just as capable. Uh, I mean, I'm especially like, I remember the episode where she reboots and she's like the princess and she's like, ah, no, screw this. It like rips like the, the skirt off and everything and becomes the hero of the game. Like I, that, that episode like strikes me. And um, I think that like that show also is like, you know, it, I guess it just never, it didn't, you know, find its audience. I mean, it was on ABC here. And then. It found its audience here for sure. It was yeah. right around the block, but like ABC did not know what to do with it at all. Yeah. And I mean, also like it, uh, I will say though, that Reboot did find its audience here when it went to Cartoon Network. Cause like that was the right, like the time before wasn't the right time for it. But when it got on Tsunami, uh, it, uh, it did, I mean, it did well enough that like they had made that fourth season, right? Um, for for both uh, Teletoon and Toonami. So, like, um, I, I don't think... Th- YTV, yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, YTV. It's okay. yeah, it was- Season four aired on uh, on Toonami yeah. first before yeah. we got it as the, yeah. as the episodes. So th- that was definitely a factor in getting that that last little bit Yeah, which I, I, I always am like, why did you not make an ending on this season? Like, you've had so... There's, oh, there's, there's a, a lot. There's a whole podcast <laughs> on that. Yeah, why? Like, why? Yes. But um, anyway, like, yeah, no, I, I 100% see the similarities between those shows because, like, like uh, it too, again, like a, a you know a Canadian written show, almost primarily Canadian written show created, where it's got that kind of same vibe where the you know the the heroine is a very strong character and not like subordinate to the to the the male hero. Um, yeah, and I mean, like, also the cool thing too is she becomes like the command.com or like the leader of exactly. mainframe by the end exactly. of it. Exactly, it was a great mo- role mm-hmm. model for me to see as a child. Like, uh, I was I was enjoying my time there. And then also there was like Calamity Jane, but I only saw that for like when it came on. I don't think it was Canadian, so it was only just like on there, and then it was gone. And I'm like, was that like a dream? Did I have a dream about that? Or... That's the way a lot of people remember. Yeah, that's it. a weird one where <laughs> it was produced by um, uh, a co-production. And between like WB America and stuff, and then they aired it for two episodes, and they were just like, "Nope," like it was like, "No." The whole thing did air on Teletoon, though. Yeah, I remember uh, not, being on Teletoon. Not 
even close to as much as something like Cyber Six no. ran, because of course I I don't think that Calamity Jane was CanCon, so and that's why Cyber Six got run so much because you know it's kind of funny. Not a single pencil was lifted uh, to produce the animation in Cyber Six, and yet it counts as one hundred percent Canadian content and gets run over and over again, regardless of how popular it is, and thus makes it popular, which I guess is how the cultural aspect of that works i mean i think it's the, i think it's the same with reboot as well because i believe ytv put money into reboot so they were just able to like play it as much as they wanted to and they probably oh yeah good. yeah and all of the voice uh people and all that stuff hey let, why, why don't we uh why don't we talk about the cast yeah. uh, a little more we took we touched on terry classen uh, a little bit who, who, who in addition to writing sorry i was going to say in addition to being the writer he's von richter he's von richter yes <laughs> And and Kathy Wesseluck, um, she's marvelous at everything that she does. But I, I think it's Cyber Six and Adrian, uh, which is a definitely a, a. I would say they're almost two different roles because there's she puts so much nuance mm. into each part of that character and she handles it. Um, well, I mean, so well. Yeah, I mean, I mean she's got crazy range like you know she's she spike yeah. in uh my little pony which is like that hyped up little boy and then you know she was like classically like shampoo and ronma one half and all that but like she even played characters like i think it's near uh, from um uh death note as well which is like on these like crazy different ends of the spectrum and so like when like in reviewing like cyber six now it's like i i wouldn't say it's not surprising it's like it's not super surprising that she can handle it because she's just uh, amazing and i think like as a, I, I wish she had more like dramatic animation to work on, because like I, I think she's she's like marvelous in this, and also also I will say very very like she loves this show like she yeah. she was like immediately on board like when I found out her, like I figured out like her uh, um, like agent or whatever and she was like immediately like wanting to do something for the show because like she had such fond memories of it and want like w- wished it ne- didn't end. Yeah, she uh, she frequently was a guest at Vancouver conventions. Um, every time she would gush endlessly about Cyber Six <laughs> and how disappointed she was that it would never, um, or that it didn't continue, or that it likely would not come back. Um, you could tell that was a really special role for her. For Lucas, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't cast a more manly oh sounding voice yeah. than. Then oh. Michael Dobson, right? One of the Dobson oh. brothers. Michael is just so, he is so awesome. Like when I was doing the scanlation for, uh, for Cyber Six, this isn't a good way to do it. Um, but whenever I was having trouble on trying to nail down like how Lucas's dialogue would sound, I just try to, even though the character is a little different in the animated version versus the comic, I try to imagine how it would come, so, how it would sound coming out of if Michael Dobson was doing the voice That's funny. just to kind of massage <laughs> things a little bit. Yeah. Um, I thought it kind of worked. Okay. Again, not, a, not, not the best approach for that kind of thing when you're supposed to, you know, recognize the differences in doing that translation. But uh, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't get that voice out of his, out of my head for, for Lucas. It's just so, you know, so graft in there. <laughs> um, Janice Jowd uh, has a number of roles in this as well. Uh, she, I mean, she usually is a, uh, monster of the week kind of voice actor anyway she does a lot of those types of voices in like inuyasha and stuff and oh, she that's where she's from oh my goodness okay. yeah i was just watching yeah like, griselda i think her name's griselda. yeah she's griselda yeah. she was elaine in full moon fascination and oh, yeah. she's laurie as well we haven't we haven't talked much about laurie yet laurie's great she's a uh, yeah she <laughs> <laughs> she's got cat in hair she's great 
Yeah, also one of the most interesting um, adaptations. And the, yes. and the one where they, they actually changed her name from the comic, too. She's uh, Laurie Carderas in the uh, in the comic, and she's Laurie Anderson in the animated try, version. Trying to, so, uh, try to Americanize it a little bit, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. The American audience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she, I mean, she's typically, uh, as you're saying, like, cast as, like, really evil, because she's got that Ojo-sama voice, right? She does, yeah. And yeah. so, like, to have her be... Laurie is really interesting and like in the comic she is like like that typical 90s really horrifically I'm trying to think of a good like a a a nice way to describe her in the comic because like she's just like she just wants to like sleep with Adrian like that's the whole her whole thing right like is she, I, I think I think we could say she is she is sleazy, Sle- sleazy promiscuously yeah. Promis- sleazy, promiscuous and sleazy. There, yeah that's there you go that's, yeah that's a good way of putting it I think no, and again, it's it's sort of interesting how she was in the comic and how they arrived at her much, you know, not completely different, but much softer, much cuter kind of interpretation of the character. Also, she was blonde yeah. in the com- and in the comic oh. and the live action drama. She was supposed to be blonde. They hmm. made her a redhead. A good call, I say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like she's she's got that kind of like fiery personality. Yeah. But like, I mean, it's interesting too in the in the cartoon because like she's kind of like a little like. I would say ditzy in the cartoon and like love struck by Adrian, but like they also sort of make a point that like she, if I remember correctly, like she's like really good at schoolwork and stuff though. Like she's not like dumb. Right. Like, yeah. they, they like, cause I remember at the end, like she's like, is she like preparing for college or something like that? Like towards the end of it? I can't remember exactly, but I remember like there was like this dichotomy of like, she's a little bit of a ditz and she's kind of like, like, like a fiery character, but also like she's not dumb and she's like smart in school. Like if I remember right. Yeah. And she's still part of a gang. So she's a, yeah. Oh yeah. That yeah. Too. yeah. <laughs> that, that was like her defining trait originally. And they still, they still stay true to that, but they're, the gang's only a little bad in the, yeah. The <laughs> They only try to steal Adrian's apple or whatever they're trying yeah, to do yeah. in that first episode. <laughs> and I guess we got to talk about Jose, too, uh, who's uh, Alex Doduck. I don't think he's done much since the the early 2000s. I think he, may, he had a lot of child roles back then. Was he a child? He was a child yeah, at the time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he he was like 10 years old. Like, uh, oh. And, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. yeah like, kind of rare, right? No? Yeah. I don't know. They were... Um, Kathy talks about him in her commentary and I was like, I was like, Oh really? Like it's cause like, I, I assumed it was maybe an adult with that kind of voice. Cause like Andrew Francis has a sort of voice like that too. Yeah. Um, and he plays, and, uh, he's in it as, um, Julian, Julian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like his voice is crazy. And like part of it too, is like, they couldn't overtly say they were Nazis, but it was like very clear with like, the with like, yeah, with the goose stepping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were supposed to be Nazis, yeah. which I, I think the subtlety is like what, makes it a little better yeah. for me personally than it being so super overt. I, I still think it, if they had just explicitly said at some point in the show that it was set in Brazil, that also helped, that could help you piece it together a little better yeah. as well. Cause that's why there's a, yeah, that's why there's this evil German scientist. Cause it's Brazil. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, like, he, yeah. you know, too, I guess, I mean, you know, he, you know, he's sort of the, the subordinate to Von Richter and yeah. he, he's, he's young and gets into like crazy wacky situations and, like in the original comic, he's like, uh, like also weirdly like a sex fiend and stuff, which is like, I'm like, yeah, I'm glad they took this out. Yeah, yeah, I'm really uncomfortable with that part. <laughs> it's very, it's a very uncomfortable part of his character in the comic. Yeah, um, the the purpose of that apparently was to keep him distracted so he wouldn't try and uh, stage a coup d'état and take over and kill von Richter. Sort of just 
keep him in line. It made him really like marshmallows. They yeah. didn't have to make this yeah. pervert. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, seriously. I mean, I mean, part part of it too, though, is like, and they don't really reveal it in the cartoon, but he's like a clone of Von Richter. Yeah. So like they, they imply it he, when he says that he's not a child, but they don't yeah. delve into it at all. Which I guess that probably is something they may have gotten into in season two. Um, because that's possibly cl- clearly kind of where they were probably gonna go with it. But again, it's just yeah. it's just never explicitly stated. You're kind of wondering what this weird kid is. <laughs> you know, it's like is he really his son? There's there's something up there. It's uh, yeah. there's something not quite right about that. Yeah, that's where I noped out of the comics, honestly. I was just like, mm-hmm. I'm done here. <laughs> uh yep. But yeah, data seven. Have we talked about data seven yet? Oh. Is it data seven or is it data seven? Because I da- want data seven. There's cancer. there's a big kitty in this show. And he, yeah. he was a good boy. But Scott, Scott McNeil is, is his voice too. I, uh, really? He doesn't typically do animal. Like, I mean, Scott McNeil does, has done just about everything. Um, he, he doesn't typically do animal voices, but they, he got the role as data seven and he's, he's convincing, but yeah, data seven, another very unique concept. who's pr- actually pretty much comes over same idea from the comic as well. He's pretty verbatim to the comic. Yeah. If I yeah. Remember, like, Cause I mean, but his, his story is also like, way more straightforward in terms of like not having like some weird sexual deviancy yeah, stuff yeah. like attached to it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But it, it's a strange choice that this, you know, childhood essentially brother of, of cyber uh-huh. six has now been brought back as this, uh, as this Panther. And it's just one of those aspects of the, the story. It's just like, wow, how did you even kind of arrive at this? I thought it was really weird how they uh, never tried to get the brain out of the, the panther and back into a human body. Like, how you, uh, you just stare in a panther forever, I guess, is the thing. They're just like, well, okay. <laughs> I guess you're here for now. As, it, as it's become uh, our, our uh, callback, probably in season two, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I guess. But no, it seemed like they were just fine with it. They're just like, all right, yeah. now we're fighting crime together. You're my panther. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, did we ever see anything else from the Data series? I think it was it was Data uh, Seven because uh, it was supposed to be a, a that that series was supposed to be an, specifically animals um, right. with the same types of brains as von Richter's other creations. I think that was the idea, but they, they didn't really get into that too much. I don't think they got into that too much in even in the comic. Just what what a striking image this that creates for this series. You have this this lady in in a tight leather outfit running around this incredibly uh exquisite south american city with oh, with a with a panther fly, following her around i mean like yeah. you, it just creates such a strong impression you can you can kind of see why uh you know why this why why this concept was able to survive so much of the adaptation process in the end really cool looking i don't know what to tell you i was just like oh yeah that's cool <laughs> yeah i, I want to i mean it's a cool idea i mean I, I do think, you know, as cool as the show is, like, it is a little hamstrung by the fact that there was no second season to develop all this stuff further. Yeah. Like, they, they I mean, they had, they seeded everything in perfectly and started setting up these characters. Like, I wouldn't have wanted more information in season one, because, uh, like, I would assume, oh, well, season two, they'll just get more into this and they'll, they'll get into, like, cause, I mean, I don't even think they really established Von Richter's plot of, like, infiltrating humanity that well either. Um with his creations to take over stuff. He's depicted as a pretty, I mean, he, he actually does a little bit of it, like with the police chief that was replaced with with a techno. So again, you're getting little, little hints of what he's trying to do. Um, But usually he's just kind of depicted as a generic megalomaniac who wants to 
destroy the city for some reason. Mm-hmm. Presumably to, you know, pull a Dr. Eggman and rebuild it with creations of his own, which are much better than what was there before. <laughs> yeah. But that, that that's kind of what we get in, in season one. Um, season one oh, for that. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, the final episode, final confrontation. Did you get like a Watchmen vibe from that at all when you're watching it? Was it in the comics that like big monster that just like blows up the thing? Or have you seen the watch? Yeah, that's kind of, that is kind of similar now that you pointed out. I never thought of that before. Yeah, when yeah, I was actually, watching, I was like, "Oh, I wonder why they did that." The thing is, is like other than characters and certain story aspects, they they sort of did what, like they sort of like were doing their own thing to a degree, yeah. especially with the monsters and like the finale and stuff. So like, I really don't. I from what I read of the comic, I don't remember there ever being a situation quite like what happens at the end of the cartoon. Yeah. Like I mentioned before, it's not a coastal city uh, in the, the comic either, because it's, it's in Monte Grosso, which is right in the middle of Brazil. But here, right right from the beginning, in an early in the early episodes, they establish, oh, it has this, uh, Meridiana has this coast. So they were kind of setting up for that finale pretty gotcha. early on. And I, I think the, the show is a lot of, again, it's Monster of the Week. There's a lot of playing around. I think, I mean, I may, I maybe uh, we should talk about the individual writers, because they, they hired sci-fi writers to to cover most of these these episodes like Catherine Gerzik and and Jono Howard that's sort of what their background was is that, mm-hmm. is that that's right Brady and a lot of the stories are just they're kind of broad sci-fi concepts which are just sort of or sort of backwards engineered into von Richter's plot somehow and it, it doesn't always work but it just sort of they're they're kind of playing around and seeing how to make this concept play out with that approach but in the last couple episodes i think that's where you start where they really kind of get things figured out and streamline things and then it stops yeah they're definitely feeling out how to do it yeah. right they're they're because i mean they're given this source material that uh isn't in terms of plot super strong it's really it's really more like the comics are strong in concept right like in mm-hmm. in it's the execution isn't and and i'm not trying to uh you know, this was obviously created by two people who were very into it and they, they create a really cool thing, but they also didn't like execute the idea to its fullest potential. Definitely not. And so, and so like they're the, the people who are adapting this into our cartoon sort of had a kind of a, a, not a complete carte blanche, but like a, a very like wide breadth they could mm-hmm. do to change things up. And it's very obvious, like they're really trying to figure out like, the the rhythm of this show right like they didn't they didn't figure out the exact quite uh beat or tempo of it and they were sort of getting there by the end and that's why it's like so tragic that they didn't do a second season because like you can see the promise of like what could come with a serialized show like this where they have like because they had like the aspects of serial in there right where they were like oh von richter has this plot what is he doing oh there's there's jose what is what is his story? What's his backstory? How does he connect? Like, well, maybe like there, I mean, there are so many possibilities too. like, like Jose could have turned on Von Richter and become one of the good guys, or like you could have done so many different things. And like, where would they take Laurie? And they had set all these things up and they just didn't get to pay that off with that. Even that second season. Yeah. Like it, it reminds me of a lot of um, the first season of big O in a way where there's all this potential, but like by the end of it, you have real, no, idea what the bigs are the mega deuces or whatever right like they just have all this really cool potential and they did these cool stories but they didn't you know they didn't have the time to pay it all off until that second season which 
you know, it's divisive, but at least you kind of understand what it is. Whereas this, like, you have all this set up and all this potential, and then it's just never paid off. So the other Batman clone, people call Cyborg <laughs> Batman clone. <laughs> Maybe the other thing to touch on is how this show is kind of double written in a way with its um with its co-production or as a co-production because you had the writers on the Canadian side of things who were writing the scripts, but it was also kind of also being scripted visually on the Japanese side. At least that's kind of what the credits always suggested because they, because mm-hmm. uh, you had uh, you you had Japanese people credited as uh, story writers on it, like scenario scenario yeah. writers, yeah. And I find I know that um, I think as we kind of touched on or as you've mentioned before, the production is characterized a lot. There's all sorts of stories about it where a lot of people didn't really seem to be on the same page or there were a lot of contradicting stories about how people found uh, people's experiences or there were language barriers or things like that, which is all pretty, I think is pretty typical for an international Mm -hmm. co-production like this. But I think that the fact that everything came together as well as it did is probably a testament to Hervé Bedard and the approach he was trying to use through network of animation, NOA. And and that's part of the, the tragedy, I think, because I think that he was able to, with his whole approach of that company, he was able to create something really unique uh, that we haven't really seen before or since. But with the with uh, the show not getting its you know second half due to the the failure on Fox Kids, it not only resulted in Cyber Six ending, it sort of ended NOA as well because they never produced anything again uh, after yeah. Cyber Six, and we never. And, and I'm just wondering if it had just succeeded on Fox Kids maybe we wouldn't have only gotten a second season of Cyber 6, but we would have seen this approach continue with other international properties and would have create and could have created like other very unique productions that were similar. Yeah, and he, it's, yeah, it's I mean, so unfortunate. I mean, Bedard, Bedard was an interesting guy. I mean, I'm not actually, I mean, is he still alive? I'm not That's sure. That's what I wanted to know. I can't, like, there uh, doesn't seem, he doesn't, he seemed to have, uh, at least when vanished, you sort of look right? online, he's kind of vanished. I'm sure if I asked, yeah. like, my animator friends, maybe someone yeah. would know what happened to him. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's happened to him. Yeah, but like you know, his history was with Geek, right? So like he had worked on stuff like um, the Real Ghostbusters, which is yeah. um, a show which is very much like this in in such that it's a show aimed for kids. But like the first sixty five episodes of that show are very written very smartly for adults as well, right? Um, that you know, that's a you know sort of spooky horror anthology show at at its core, uh, just sort of wrapped up in the Ghostbusters license, mm-hmm. which is which is why that show is so um, well remembered because it has you know like spooky stories like the day that you know what was it um when Halloween was forever or um, uh, the Cluck Call from Cthulhu like stuff like that like it it has those pulp noir stories to it and it skews a little adult and it sort of scares you a little bit, and which I think is also part of cyber Six's charm where like these creatures aren't pretty, right? Like they're kind of scary. Mm-hmm. They're scary monsters that she's fighting. And like, um, these, these, these shows, like, I, I think that he probably looked at that and said, like, I want to do this myself, like not under the like auspices of a different company. Like I want to make my own company. Uh, that's what I always sort of figured anyway. And he uh, reading about him and doing research on him. And I like, I found a bunch of articles in like trade magazines and stuff like that about him. And like, he he seemed like like 
like crazy savvy where like he you know like he went to uh argentina or whatever and and like convinced them to sell the rights to cyber six to him for production for a dollar and then a dollar yeah (laughs) for a dollar and then like he left and then like immediately was like trying to sell the show to get it created and like he he like it feels like he sort of like engineered this from like from like nothing right just with like his hard work and guts to uh steal a term from another show i've been working on but uh it feels like he like he just you know he was just like i'm i'm gonna will this to happen out of nothing and he did and like that's what kind of makes it sad that like noa didn't like do another property like this where it was a a sort of like more adult leaning thing but yeah like you can definitely see his origins in like shows like that like real ghostbusters and whatnot where they skewed a little bit more uh outside of the norm of children's tv right Mm -hmm. like and and that's that's definitely (laughs) one of the things that's sad about this yeah what started this whole project was because he thought that the animation market had become oversaturated with shows for children and he he Mm. wanted to make something older skewing something for adults that's that's how things started and then tms wanted to to tone it down again down to that tween audience uh to make to make it sure it was easier to sell internationally and he ultimately accepted those compromises again it's a it is the fact that he and noa and everyone involved was able to still sort of keep the essence of this project alive even through all of that um mm-hmm. really i think i think it is a testament to the perceptive insight that mm. he had uh when looking at this property initially oh for, Compa- for, yeah because like he he, he re- i think he could really see the heart of it really see what makes this interesting and distinct and it wasn't the things that were on the surface like like i mentioned before the original comic it's defined by its sexuality but there's much more to what makes cyber six unique than than just that when you i mean when you dig into it though it's like oh you have all this sort of like uh, the sexual aspect to it but like underneath it it's like oh it has all these really cool science fiction concepts yeah. right like right yeah like what like, is life like are you human what is being human what what is love like like it has all that stuff underneath it it's just kind of like buried under uh a lot of a lot of like a uh, chaffy right like yeah. so it's like it's it's interesting in that way and like i think um also like you're right and i think that like ha- like it, it it's a show to me now that it's like oh they would have ma- they would make this now right like it it people always say well it's so ahead of its time but like it, it really was in a way uh ahead of like ahead of the curve where there would be a market now for 16 17 year olds to watch a show like this for sure i mean like a lot of the teen netflix shows and all that stuff uh are sort of aimed at kids like that like i said also like owl house or um uh was it infinity train or stuff like that that shows up on like cartoon network or disney or what have you like those shows are for kids but they skew older and they have more uh adult situations that sort of happen in them you know and uh, also you know they're start like and then those you know shows made by big companies again like disney or nickelodeon or whatever i mean like also like you had uh avatar the last airbender and legend of Korra and all that and those you know pushed boundaries as well yeah. uh those you know happened like shortly after this and you know you you have shows like these which are slowly um i don't want to say bending the rules but like changing the landscape of television to be more accepting of, you know, 
people who are LGBTQ, mm-hmm. right? Like, so, like, um, which, you know, this show touches on, even though it doesn't overtly do that. And, like, mm-hmm. then you have shows like Legend of Korra, where it's very obvious they wanted to have, you know, uh, a bi or lesbian couple, right, with Korra and Asami. And then they really couldn't show that, right? Uh, so they had to do it more subtly. And now you have cartoons where, uh, you know, people can be gay and mm-hmm. be in a cartoon, right? Which we've had, you know, TV shows forever where there are gay characters and they're represented well, but it's only very recently in the last couple of years where we have cartoons for kids that actually have normal characters who aren't um, like uh, a very special episode characters, right? They're just normal people who just happen to be gay. They're not the gay character. They're a character who is a character who also happens to be gay. Right. And that's just, that's just only recently happening. And you can kind of see that starting back 20 years ago with cyber sex, right? So yeah, at the time this was made for action animation, pretty much the only way to get a show made is if you could sell toys along yeah. with it. That that was the, that was the only business model that really existed for this kind of thing. Um, and C- cyber sex in its very roundabout production kind of, kind of started to find a way around that, but obviously didn't pan out in the end because of the weird Fox kids deal. Well, I mean, part of it is too, like, it seemed to me that TMS wanted their, their international action adventure show, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it seems like, uh, TMS fronted a lot of the money and so did Bedard, right? They were like, we'll, we'll try and get a toy license after yeah. we get the show going because this isn't, this isn't Batman. This isn't Superman. This isn't, you know, my little pony or something. There was no built in audience for it. So they had to try and come up with something first. So like they sort of gambled their money, which yeah. is why, you know, like um, it ultimately probably didn't continue because they didn't get toy, uh, you know, a Makes, toy yeah. company interested. Yeah. Yeah. Because like if you, look, if you look back at the original Ninja Turtles, like Ninja Turtles is very similar to that, that it was created by two indie creators um, who were sort of like, uh, you know, their comic book got popular and they were they were trying to find um ways to market it and they did a lot of things like rpg books and all of that but it wasn't until they found a um investor in playmates toys who you know has always had the ninja turtles license that it really blew up because playmates put all the money into um the first the original cartoon when it first came out the the five part mini series they paid for that like uh, completely themselves to market these toys as a commercial for these toys. And so like in a very like similar situation that went the complete opposite direction, like cyber six is similar to where it was indie comic that, uh, you know, by grit and hard work became a cartoon, but they never got that toy bump that Ninja Turtles did. Cause like Ninja Turtles would never have survived if they didn't have the toys that were super popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was just thinking how, Obviously, that that old production method where you you know that you had to have merchandise attached to it, which is why action shows could really only exist if they were targeted for a youth audience. That that is finally kind of ended, and a big part of that is because of streaming. Because now the, the show I was thinking of was Tresse on Netflix, which is based off of a Filipino comic, I believe. Kind kind of a similar situation to to Cyber Six, but obviously the also only lasted one season. I think it's maybe a, a give sort of an idea of what something like Cyber Six might look like today uh, if it mm-hmm. if it if it were created now. Um, I've never I've never heard of that personally. I'm not yeah, never familiar. It it's pretty good. It's on Netflix. Uh, if you if you still have Netflix, uh, I recommend yeah. it. It's only only a few episodes, and it's a little 
actually also very heavy on the lore and kind of a little maybe tricky to follow if you're not familiar with mythology from that part of the world. But what's the premise of it? Uh, it's basically a supernatural detective show. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Okay. Yeah. It's worth checking out for sure. Is it, is it animated live action? What is it? It is animated. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think it's a U.S. Philippine co-production. That's awesome. Yeah, it's good. It's just six episodes, uh, but it's uh, I would say it is worth your time. It's, that's it's pretty unique. For me, yeah. Man. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that's I'm all in on short shows, yeah. and that's why I, I I sort of like you know just because of my time you know constraints, right? It's easier to get through like a British show of like eight episodes or something. Yeah. Now, Brady, if you if Discotech can't get the legal details sorted out to put uh, Cyber Six out on Blu-ray, how would you feel about uh, if they license the Argentinian live-action drama to put out under their <laughs> live-action label? Uh, oh you think that'd be a viable alternative? I, I mean, I've seen clips of it. It doesn't look promising, <laughs> but we also put out weird stuff, so who knows? There, There is now, just in the last few years, somebody found a full the full first episode and a few other clips. Uh, it is on Vimeo. You can watch it. Um, it is not good, but uh, boy, it, 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 it's interesting. Um, reminds me, a, it came out in 1996, uh, which was one year before Batman and Robin. Reminds me a lot of Batman mm. and Robin. Um, everything is very colorful. There's lots of Dutch angles. Everything seems to be shot in like a really cramped soundstage all the time. And so it would be post Batman Forever, right? So that style was sort of yeah. out there, just not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, post Batman Forever yeah. might be a better way of putting it. Yeah. Um, also, Jose is like 25 in this because I guess they, they, as I said before, the animated series kind of found deeper nuances to hone in on for Cyber Six that make it looking into what made the property really great. The live action drama just kind of seizes everything that's on the surface all the like salacious mm -hmm. stuff and just completely revels in it. Um, so it's arguably all the stuff that people don't like from the comic, just uh, foaming to the top. Yeah. I, I do also want to say that like, uh, I'm personally not against like, like sexual content yeah. or whatever. It's just that in, I, I don't think we've done it justice. Just how crass cyber six is. It is very, oh, like it's, yes. Like um, it's like a soul, another level. Yeah, it is, uh, like I said, it is a comic defined by its sexuality, and it's mm -hmm. and this is embraced in the live action and very clumsily uh, at that. Like like yeah. I mentioned, Jose's 25, obviously because they want to focus <laughs> on his his overabundant sex drive. Um, interesting yeah. note, during a scene when, he, when he's like kind of getting it on with one woman, uh, they play The Future by Leonard Cohen, uh, and I, I remember that in one of the early chapters of Cyber 6, they quote a Leonard Cohen song. And I, oh, I wow. found that to be kind of an interest and a little, little bit of an interesting touch on there. So uh, I like when I did my research, there was not a lot of information about this. And I and I and I might not be remembering because it was 10 years ago, but it was like people weren't sure if it was a pilot, a whole series or just a movie. And so what what exactly is this? Was there a series or there was, was there a just series? A uh, OK, so there was a full series, Yeah, full series. I think it was either 10 or 13 episodes ran on Argentinian terrestrial television uh, in 1996. Um, and yeah, it's not, it's not very good. I, I couldn't get through it. Honestly, all of the, like the, the what do they call the transitions through everything were all like the, the comics and everything. And it's just kind of like yeah. the Marvel logo a bit, but if it was done really crappily, 
Yeah. And like, oh man, there's this one part where she's like running through the buildings and I'm just like, I have to look away because it's just, it's like, it looks like it was done in a high school. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. The effect, the effects of her jumping uh, yeah. off of buildings are incredibly bad. Um, like it, you can tell that they're kind of, they're trying to make a limited budget work in some scenes, but mm-hmm. not in others. And it also has, yeah, like you mentioned, weird transitions using art from the comics, uh, with a real, like, oh, it's your favorite comic come to life kind of, uh, yeah. ki- kind of vibe that's, you know, always awful. Yeah. I couldn't get through it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I mean, okay. when... like, I don't, I don't, I I've can't. All... I tried to watch it, but it, it, I can only get through clips of it. And also it's. It's I can watch really bad VHS, but it, like the quality of it's so bad that it's sometimes hard to discern what's going on in it too. It's almost otherworldly. That's yeah, yeah. It's it's but there's no subtitles, and if there's no story that I can follow along to, I can't I can't really justify watching 25 minutes or however. 45 minutes. <laughs> 40. Oh, 45 God, minutes. Yeah, each episode. Yeah, it's an hour drama uh, with commercials. Is is this is it the first episode or is it just a random? It episode? is the first episode that, okay, that they found. Yeah, but no, no, no more has been found since then. Yeah, just just a few clips and next episode gotcha. previews. Yeah, yeah, Yashimoto's wow. in the in the first episode. Um, yes. So it's it's kind of jumping around a little bit uh, in a in a in a way that's unexpected. Um, but yeah, the again drama, interesting contrast from the animated show for sure as as far as adaptations go, uh, and further cements that just how great and unique um this series really is um there's one last thing i wanted to mention um just about my own background with this show the the time i watched it the most was when it was running on teletoon's detour block now when i say the detour block i don't mean the later version of their detour block when it was that adult lineup it was during that brief time when they were trying to make a teen lineup on weeknights yeah, like adult swim. yeah it was but it was before Teletoon Unleashed. So it was like an hour where, where they would run quote-unquote teen shows. And they ran it back-to-back with uh, Ripping Friends. <laughs> which was, oh, golly, well, Ripping Friends. Yeah, also, which was also, uh, a, they had a censored version of that running on Fox Kids uh, at the time. Uh, but more oh, interestingly, when Cyber 6 was running, uh, like weeknights at 9, and, and they ran it so much. They ran those 13 episodes every night for i think over a year or close to a year and i i gotta say that when you're if you watch it that much you definitely start picking apart all of the flaws in the show a lot more um when it's something you're you're watching constantly and something that's not on did you did you watch it that much no so i didn't but tell you was just something i had on in the background mm-hmm. a lot of the time and interestingly the detour block ran back to back with the Teletoon retro block. And because mm. they used it as a way of just dumping CanCon in the middle of the night, they ran Rocket Robin Hood. Uh, Brady, yeah. are you familiar with Rocket Robin Hood? No, no. What's that? So Rocket Robin Hood is this terrible Canadian animated show from the 1960s. Uh, it was made by the same studio that did the Spider-Man animated series. Oh, um, wow. Okay. And notably, uh, it also had a second season that was directed by Ralph Bakshi. And a lot of the second season episodes Whoa. were actually reused as Spider-Man episodes, just with Rocket Robin Hood removed and Spider-Man put in. If you thought that that second season of the Spider-Man 60s show was cheap, like you don't even know the full context because they were wow. they were just like God. sharing materials between these two shows. It was 
really bad. Well, I mean, very atmospheric and memorable in a lot of ways, but also very bad. Um, but well, I mean, it's one it's one of those things that sounds like the production of it is more interesting than the show itself, right? Like it yeah. has like a, such a cool story behind it. Yeah, they they were literally they people you know people talk about it all the time thinking that certain animated shows were made by people on drugs, which is never <laughs> never true, um, and always an unfair assessment for the work of very creative people who are working on an animated thing. Rocket Robin Hood, many of the people who worked on it literally were on drugs at the time. <laughs> it's the type of show that uh, results from that. Wow. But it is it is one of the worst animated shows, TV shows you'll ever see. And I always just kind of loved watching the contrast going from that Canadian production oh to God. Cyber 6, because it's like yeah. complete <laughs> ends of the, uh, of the scale there, back to back. And even though I didn't watch um, every episode of Cyber Six all the time when it when it ran that frequently, I did make appointment viewing to try to watch the opening theme uh, every time it aired because oh yes, it is uh, even when I was going back to watch it now I didn't I, I didn't like sit down and watch through every episode or everything I just kind of had it on the background but when that opening comes on I just drop everything and watch it uh, it is so good I th- I, I think it is because because. Deep in your heart, love will survive. Yes. Right? <laughs> it's so beautiful. Oh my god! And I, it's just a clip show opening. I think it might be my favorite clip show opening for any television program ever. It's well, it leaves it's, it's just interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because it's not just a clip show opening though. It's got clips from the show, but it has scenes from the pilot. The pilot, as yeah, well. yeah, mm-hmm. which is interesting too because it's very, um, it's a bit different than the show ended up as well. Um, Jose has a gun. Uh, that, yeah, Jose has a gun in it. Yeah, it's it's a little more a little more adult, and yeah. um, that I mean, finding that pilot also was like, I was amazed I was able to, and like the I found it on like some wayback machine site wow. that was the team at TMS site. Oh wow! And wow. it was and it was like in it was like in one twenty p as like a as like a um like real video file or something like that. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. This is in such crappy condition. I could never include this, but if TMS has this on their site, I can, I can probably get them to find it. And so they found me a DVD. Like they, all I could find was like a DVD R that they used to like promote and sell the show. And they sent me that DVD. And so that's how we got the like full resolution version of it. We could not find the like the actual like master of it, but yeah, I was like, oh, and because it, it's got such unique, cool animation in it too. But um, yeah, it's it is it is kind of a shame that they never got to do like a real intro. But even still, as a clip show intro, it's it's beautiful and like it sets up the mood of the show, mm-hmm. like especially when it starts with them uh, with like the and they're like running over the rooftops and the the um fixed ideas are trying to get Cyber Six. And like they, they sort of you know reveal Adrian and like I mean that whole thing is like stuck in my brain too where it's like you know she's like pondering the duality of her life and you know it's 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 kind of interesting too to have like a kid show where the main character is kind of depressed like doesn't know what they are or are they human and mm-hmm. are these feelings real and then like they kind of like show sort of like the dichotomy of that in the intro with like. Um, Adrian and Lucas eating together and having a good time and like chatting, which is one, which is part of the pilot as well. That, that scene where it's so over, like overly animated. And it's like, it's not just that it's animated. Well, it's like, you know, 
the food has all these little details. There's so much food. It's moving. Lucas yeah, eats so much. <laughs> and, it's and it's all moving and like all of his gestures while he's talking, like even without the dialogue, it's like um, you can you can understand like how like into the conversation they are and like how much fun they're having. And it's all thanks to TMS animation. But yeah, no, I completely understand why you like love that intro because of all that stuff. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I just had just one more question. You two, do you think we need more cyber six? Like, do you, like, should there be more? Should someone try? Should there be a remake? Do you think there's potential for something like this? Or do you think it's better off if we just kind of leave it at what we have? I would love more personally. Um, in the, if it's if it's not if it's in this style, like if it's adapted in the same way, just updated for today's like sensibilities and writing and stuff. Um, I personally wouldn't be as interested in like a direct adaptation of the comic book. Yeah, but I would love to have another version of this um, that's more either more either continues the story or starts it over more modern um, and uh, has the same feel as this. Just gets to serialize it out and go the go the distance i would say yes but only if they have a lot of money (laughs) and they can do it with the same love and care as the original series was done and also if like all the story writers and everything were either the same or like very very similar in tone if the only if they really get it because my big disappointment with a lot of series that are just like hey it's 10 years later we're gonna continue it is they just miss how special the series was and what made it special the feel of it like they don't they can't get the quite feel of it yeah if they can't Um, get it and if they don't know the story beats that they were going to do in the second season if they don't have any of that then there's there's no point for me honestly i would rather just have the the 13 episodes that Mm -hmm. were just like oh this is really good and then you know so many people just like pretend other continuations don't even happen because well yeah i mean you're you have a point there where a lot of these like oh 20 year later shows like sort of don't have the the feel of it like i mean they just did that new night court and it does like i'm not saying it's bad um but it doesn't have that sardonic feel of the original right whereas like they just did that 90s show and they very smartly brought back a lot of the original writers and creators and then brought in new blood as well and that show feels like a real continuation of that 70s show, if you watch it, right? Just with a with a little more hindsight, a little more heart, but you can either go like the one way or the other, right? And like I would I would much rather uh have it the way you're saying too. Like, yeah, like have it at least at least even if it's a reboot, bring back some of the original creatives to at least get that same flavor, right? Yeah. The fl- the flavor is the you know, the spice of it is what's important, yeah. not the characters. I was going to say, just get Studio Orange to do a CGI remake and just watch people argue <laughs> over which one uh, oh, is God. better or which one you should watch. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, but like everyone's trying to do Cobra Kai now because Cobra mm. Kai was so, so well done. And like the, the reason why it was so well done, it continues to be well done, is because the writers are just like uh, just really into it. Right. Like I would I would be really upset if somebody took Cyber Six and then they didn't know what they were doing with it. Like like reboot. reboot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was about to say reboot is the epitome of they did not understand the show. And then the episodes which were meant to be tributes to the fans just sort of made fun of the fans and huge miscalculation <laughs> the way that they handled that. It's just like yeah. what were th- like what how they th- how did they think this was going to work? How did they think this was going to be received? Honestly, I would love another show that's like this. Yeah. That has like all of this 
all of this really deep, like, what's happening with this woman who's not really a woman, who's like, you know, trying to trying to figure out her her place in the world and like also battling, you know, evil guys and stuff. Just do something else like that. Just do something. You don't have to be Cyber Six. You can be something else. But like, I haven't really seen anything that's really like this, honestly, uh, that has like that dark tone. I guess Dark Angel or what's the name of it? Dark Angel? Was it? Oh, that the Fox show that was yeah, similar. The Fox show, but it, yeah, it was Dark Angel. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. Just don't make it that similar that they're going to sue you. <laughs> That was, I mean, I mean, part of that too was that James Cameron was involved in that, and he has a lot of, you know, reach and all that. So, mm-hmm. um, and the the that whole thing, it was very hard to find information about it. And there, like again, there was conflicting reports. Was it involved in its failure? Was it not? Like, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, like, I I really don't know. But it was unfortunate that all of that, uh, either way, that that was in the news and it sort of cloud, you know. It was hanging around, even if it didn't directly and, you know, stop, you know, if it didn't, if it's not the cause of what happened, it was still in the air, you know, and that yeah. that was kind of like a, a sour note, too, because, you know, it's all about perception as well in the in the outside world. And at the time, we weren't connected. Like when this show came out, because now nowadays I can like talk to somebody in Argentina in a minute. I could call them right now or type to them or email them or whatever. But back then you couldn't. So like you, all you had was like printed news and sometimes online stuff, but not really like if you had dial up and we weren't as connected as we are now. So when you hear something uh, or you read it in a magazine or it's repeated, like, um, like the telephone game, right? Like you're never sure exactly what happened. And that's why a lot of the research for this was really hard too, because like I was literally going through like, old news groups trying to make heads or tails of like what happened with this. And it's just a shame that like you will probably never know the real story of it, but yeah, like even sorry to get on a tangent, but yeah, like even a show that was like this would be great too, for sure. Yeah. I think that's probably the better way to go. I really can't imagine how you could bring this show back for a second season at this point. Like we mentioned before, I don't know if Eric Bedard is even still alive at this point. It's uh, it's unclear. It's mystery. Yeah. I mean, the the approach that he used to bring this uh, this show together, it's definitely not something we've seen since. As much as I'd love to see a second season, like, bring in crewmans and have him talk about wanting to be cloned into Sharon Stone's body. Uh, I forgot about crewmans. <laughs> crewmans. Oh, man. I, I think he was, I think they had plans for him to be in the show. I, I keep reading that crewmans is Von Richter's assistant in the uh in the, in the comic and it, it is implied that he was a lover of von richter's he was a woman mm. but she pissed him off and he like put him in this ugly man's body and made him his servant which is like oh that's kind of weird um but yeah i think i think there were plans to bring him in uh there, there was apparently some designs for him or something uh but he just didn't make the cut again probably probably something they were planning for season two you know we won't like, get I just it just want more action romances yeah. Give me an action romance. Like this is a really done, well, well done romance, and like the the subtleties of like Lucas and I just I love I love it so. That, 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 that dynamic, yeah. Bring that dynamic back of exactly. uh, Adrian Lucas and Cybersex, right? Exactly. Like that's the key. It's kind of interesting that uh, that Fox Kids picked this up at the same time as Escaflone, and they both failed, uh, which <laughs> almost within a week of each other, um, which is. Oh, but both uh, ran in their entirety in Canada and and did much better. Yeah, yeah. They played the they played the first episode as the last episode. As the Canada, last episode, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we got it. That's the most important thing. 
Yeah, that's how that's how there's recordings of all that out there, which is really interesting because like they edited it down to like to 23 episodes or something. I re I very recently just rewatched Escaflone. So uh, I, I I actually seeked out the Fox Kids version and I was like comparing it. I was like, wow, this is weird. Like there's like edit episodes edited together. Is, and they, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it gets a little more balanced out as they get when you get into the episodes that only ran in the UK or Canada. But still, it's becomes quite a different show. Um, oh the way. yeah <laughs> yeah because it, it got canceled on fox kids really quick yeah and so i remember i remember the guy who edited it and i can't remember his name but i i followed him on live journal oh. question mark i think he was on usenet uh, posting a lot of a lot of stuff he was he was on probably, probably as well. both and, yeah yeah and i remember him saying that like after episode six he didn't have to censor anything he just had to cut it down to time yeah so like after that happened or after whatever episode was the last fox kids episode or uh, they um, uh, and wherever he was at that point, like the rest of them are just sort of like trimmed. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. I, I believe he also worked on uh, Slayers, which never aired. Yeah, they as were. Well. And I remember he posted about that. They, they were preparing that one, uh, but it never saw the light of day. Crazy stuff, man. Like yeah. uh, this has been this has been a, a crazy, crazy flashback. And I'm <laughs> I, I not not to not to not to uh, pat my own back, but like re- remembering all this stuff from 10 years ago. Um, when I, I haven't watched cyber six in a while, but like the fact that I can remember all this stuff so vividly is just kind of like a testament to the effect of the show and how cool it is. Absolutely. Um, how memorable it is. Oh yeah. It's... You did a fantastic job on the DVD. Yeah. Like, pat your back for you, I guess, because I was watching it, uh, right before this, actually, I'm just like, Oh man, this, this is Brady. They know their stuff, <laughs> you know, like it was just really, really cool to listen to and to watch and it. Thank you for making it because it's one of my favorite parts of my collection. So. Well, I'm glad I'm, you know, I'm glad you guys have enjoyed it. I'm glad people seem to have sort of enjoyed it. And it seems the fans sort of took what I kind of started there and have been adding to it. Yeah. Um, so Cyber Six for me was just like, like I said, like it, it aired on Fox Kids here and it was always interesting to me. And like it was like a you know flash in the pan. And then when I got the opportunity, like, oh, I know the pedigree of this. I know the animation's really good. I know the history of the show. There's interesting history. And so, like, I, I, and I had the time to work on it. So, like, I was just, like, fascinated by it. And I just kept digging and digging and finding all this stuff. And, you know, that's how I found the story of, like, uh, Hervé Bredard and, like, all that stuff. So, you know, it was always fascinating. And, like, I'm glad, like, somebody else sort of shares my weird fascination with this little show you know like it's cool that there are fans out there and i'm so glad that people are out there still talking about this little thing yeah. you know i mean it's been a low-key obsession of mine for for 20 years now and i think that's been the case for a lot of people and i, I can see uh why it would compel people to uh to, to dig in and have such a such a strong reaction overall um so we'll leave it there thanks you two for coming on this has been really great uh z can you just let everyone know where uh, folks can find you online? Oh, okay. You guys can find me at ZK Art pretty much everywhere on the internet. So I got a YouTube, I got a Twitter. Before that, like, blows up, this is probably going to be like uh, Yeah, Twitter, <laughs> question mark. <laughs> uh, TikTok, I'm Z the Raccoon on there. I have a fursuit. I am a furry. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you see a purple raccoon anywhere on the internet, that's probably me. Uh, where else am I? Yeah, just ZK Art, Instagram, whatever. I, I exist. And Brady, where can people find you? And what what are what else are you working on right now? Uh, if there was anything else uh, you mentioned that you can talk about, let's see. So you can find me uh, at 
Brady Hartle. That's my name, B-R-A-D-Y-H-A-R-T-E-L. On Twitter, um, I post about cartoons and random stuff and things I find funny that maybe other people don't find funny, but I I think they're funny. Um, uh, (laughs) I'm working on a show called Iriozaram, the animation. Remastered in HD for the first time on Blu-ray. It's yeah. a lot done. In fact, in fact, in fact, once I get off of this, I have to complete it tonight or else. Um, uh, I'm also working on a show called uh, Re or Reference Cutie Honey. Yeah. Um, which, is a, which is a cool Hideki Anno-directed uh, three-episode OVA based on Cutie Honey, but really cool animation. Um, Re Cutie Honey is maybe my favorite anime ever. I think it is, it is really? so it's, good. It's, <laughs> my it's, favorite it's, OVA for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, because it's a very, like, sort of, like, sex pervert funny cutie honey, really. But it's, like, not in a way that Cyber 6 the comic is, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, like, a lot of, it's like, a lot of fun, and it's, it's sort of cheesy. And it's funny. actually, We're, we did. It's another good example of a distilled adaptation. They kind of cut out yeah. all the stuff that doesn't really work from the comic and just hone in on what makes cutie honey great. And as the that. result is the best cutie honey by far. And it, it trended on Twitter in the US when you guys announced it too, which is. Uh, that one. Yeah. Oh, really? I, I didn't. I, I, Judy I know Honey. we tr- I'm trying to sum up. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. It didn't trend in Canada, though, for, further showing that we, we suck <laughs> ah, in this country. Maybe we don't deserve that discotheque distribution. <laughs> uh, <laughs> see, like, like, like I, I knew that was going to come up. I, I have no control over that, and I don't, I don't know how to fix it. Yeah. I was just making a joke. I do feel bad for you guys though, because it is very expensive to import. Oh my god, the shipping stuff. sucks. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard, and I and I don't know what the solution is for it. It's just really hard. Even if we were to have a distributor up there, it's like it's just so expensive. So I'm not sure what the solution is. I feel so bad for you guys though. Okay, um, you gotta buy with friends. Yeah. Yes. Uh, for for re cutie honey though, we we did an all new dub and we brought back Jessica as cutie honey and all that. So. Hopefully people enjoy that. Um, I can't we, have, we have a lot of we have a lot of voice surprises in it too, so it's hopefully going to be really cool. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm working on. Otherwise, I'm working on Skullgirls. We we're working on the season one pass still. Uh, the character like nobody probably cares about this, but like the character Black Dahlia is about to come out, and we're working on uh, turning the boss character into a full character Murray. And so I will either be working on anime or that for probably the next year. So. Yeah, you can just you can find my adventures on Twitter, uh, unless it blows up. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Brady. Thanks for listening to the episode. You can find me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultra Claystron and can be found on his album Packet Flood, which you can find on ultraclaystron.com. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. See you again. entered the detour on Teletoon. Get ready for the maturely immature ride of your life.